You are listening to The Current Podcast, the official podcast of UC San Diego's IT Services Department. I'm your host, Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Wednesday, September 21st. Everybody calm down. You can relax. I have returned from vacation. I am back with you. Not a moment too soon, I hear. Fall quarter classes start tomorrow, as you all know. What you may or may not know is that it's also Latinx Heritage Month, and there's a lot going on. Visit latinxheritagemonth.ucsd.edu for a full list of events in September and October. Festivities culminate in the Latinx Heritage Month commemoration event Friday, October 28th at the Price Center. You'll hear from keynote speaker Yvette Marino, a writer and producer with Walt Disney Animation Studios. And by the way, you can also celebrate by continuing to listen to this podcast because of yours truly. One last bit of housekeeping. The deadline for the annual Staff at Work survey has been extended to this Friday, September 23rd. Please take a moment to fill it out. I can assure you that our esteemed leadership here in IT services uses the results to make a better workplace for us all, and you get a neato gift for doing it anyway. Now for this week's interview, let's get to know James Seddon. This is Mark Herzberger, Communications Manager in IT services. Today we are joined by our Senior Director, Enterprise Network and Voice Services, James Seddon. James, welcome to the pod. How are you? Hello, I'm doing pretty good today. Happy to be back. Always good to talk with you. And you are the newly minted senior director. Uh, and I had previously let you know, just in my opinion, that just makes you sound old. <laughs> I put the senior in the position. <laughs> I need one of those jobs that's more like executive director or managing director than I can be timeless. <laughs> so far, it hasn't translated into any discounts at places that I can detect, but I'm hoping for that. And um, what is in your new portfolio? What are the, the high-level functions that, that go into this position now? So they're, they're, I, I was already working with the, uh, the data team and the voice team. And you know through that work, I worked closely with the installation repair team. Uh, the telecom planning group, which does inside and outside cable plant management and project planning, and uh, Chris Harris's teams of, of network integration and network services, and Arturo's teams of classroom tech support. We, you know, in my previous role, I had worked with all of those teams, but now I get a chance to work with them, you know, even closer. Uh, I already know the names of, of, of most of the people on those teams, and, and they're great people and great teams. So. Getting to work with them closer is an honor, which I'm going to enjoy and already am. What do you think the learning curve is going to be for you? Oh, it's it's going to be a lot. Uh, you know, some of these some of these areas I've worked really closely with for a long time. So, like um, installation repair team, but uh, and some are, are are very new to me, like uh, the classroom tech support and ABDI teams. Those are very new to me. These teams, I've got a sort of a range of pre-existing familiarity, but even with the teams I worked with for a long time, I'm already discovering that there's, you know, stuff that's important, stuff they've been doing that, that hasn't been on the top of my radar because I haven't worked, you know, as close with them as I'm going to now. And, and I know I have, uh, I've got to earn the trust of these new groups. And, you know, even with my um, existing teams, I have to keep, you know, I have to re-earn their trust, you know, hopefully... I've earned it in the past, but uh, I need to renew that as well as um, 
you know, earn the trust of, of these new groups. What's the most recent uh, position that you held for us in IT services and what were some of the highlights and functions of that role? Because I think as far as I know, you're kind of in that role as long as I've known you the last couple of years. Yeah, you know, my, my career here at UC San Diego has, has uh, I've been here since 2005. So what is that, 17 years, I guess now. Um, it's always been in network infrastructure. I, I started here in network infrastructure and I've stayed in network infrastructure. My job has... Uh, changed and morphed over the years. Uh, my team has grown. Um, other teams uh, have been added. And when I started, it was it was me and three network engineers working in ACT's uh, datacom group. Uh, back then, we had you know maybe a, a thousand or maybe fifteen hundred wireless access points. Um, and you know, as my job has kind of morphed and, and grown as the network has grown. You know, mm -hmm. now we we've got. 10 people working or 11 people working on the datacom team instead of three. Uh, they're supporting 11,000 access points instead of 1,000. So it's, you know, over my career so far, it's been just a story of, of growth in both size and complexity, which, which has kept the job, you know, challenging and interesting. I, I, when, I, when I came here in 2005, I thought I would be at the university for three or five years. And I, I think I, one of the main reasons I've stuck here, uh, aside from being challenged by the great people around me, has been that the job has just changed and morphed mm -hmm. as, as we've grown. I don't feel like I've had, I don't feel like I'm doing the same thing I was in 2005. Thinking back to 2005, what interested you about UCSD or how did, how did you get in? Oh, so I, yeah, I like telling this story. So I... I was previously working at a, a semiconductor company. Um, I had worked my way up to regional IT manager for the semiconductor company for their Southwest region and um, was pretty happy there. And Joy Gakuya, who's, who I work with still today at the university, saw an opening and I knew him from the Navy reserves mm -hmm. and he saw the, uh, this, the datacom manager position open and he actually pointed me at it and said, I think you might like this job. And I was not at the time looking to shift from the company that I was at, but there were some changes at that company that I wasn't too happy with. And so the timing was good for, for somebody to say, Hey, look at this opportunity here. And so I, I started looking into it and, you know, some of my friends in, and colleagues in, and also in it were, were waving me off. They were saying, no, 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 don't, don't go to academia. You know, the buildings are uh, 150 years old and, and, and so are all the people and so are the networks. The networks are 150 years old and they never have any funding and it's just all crumbling and turning to dust. You'll stagnate and you'll never work on anything new and they don't have any budget to do anything. And I started, you know, interviewing and I remember replying to my friends and colleagues going, it doesn't sound like that at UC San Diego. It, it doesn't sound like that environment. And in fact, it has not proved to be that way at all. To work on a network and manage the folks who work on a network, do you have some formal schooling uh, in that area, or is it on the job, or a little of both, maybe? Uh, yeah, probably a little of both. I I got a uh, computer science degree from um, USC up in LA, um, and so I had you know my my um, formal training, I guess, or formal education was in, in computer science and with computers. Is and that a, is that an accredited university, James? <laughs> Fight on, you betcha. And uh, the, 
So that, yeah, I had my formal training there, but then I went into the Navy right after that. So there was a long break between, hmm. you know, uh, when I was working on, on computers or networks or computer science stuff, and there was a several year break when I was doing uh, Navy stuff instead and not a lot of network stuff. But I knew as I was leaving active duty that I wanted to get back into that. Um, and so toward the end of my career, I started weaseling my way into doing a little bit of network work for the Navy and started taking certification classes and, and other sort of stuff to get started in the uh, IT industry when I got out of, uh, of active duty. Now you're, you're, putting then, these, you're putting these on the golf tee when uh, a Trojan grad talks about weaseling his or her work <laughs> various. Uh, uh, that's fair. You mentioned the Navy after college. Uh, what led you to the Navy? Yeah, when I so I, I had uh, I had a few dreams when I was getting ready to graduate from high school. One was to get out of the tiny little town that I hated that I grew up in, in New Mexico. A lot of people love that town, but uh, it was not for me. And so I knew that I wanted to to escape from there. And my my first plan was I wanted to go to a a large university in Los Angeles, uh, specifically a large private university in Los Angeles. Which, you know, there you go. Now you know where where USC came from. But my, my father was a high school teacher. My mother was a legal secretary. And so the, the financial means of the family did not match the dreams of the kid. <laughs> and so, you know, the Navy was one way to make a couple of those goals happen. You know, one was uh, to get out of the, the town I was in, like I told you. And then the other thing I wanted to do is I wanted to fly jets for the Navy as I was graduating high school. And so, you know, a, a Navy scholarship was the path to that. And so that's what initially drew me into the Navy. Interestingly, almost, you know, only a year or two into my training there at ROTC in the university, I had decided I didn't want to be a pilot after all. I wanted to drive uh, surface ships, which is what I ended up doing. So I ended up not, not even trying to be a pilot, but I still, you know, I, I don't regret joining the Navy at all. Um, as you say, it's a huge part of my mm -hmm. identity and you know, a huge part of my life. And, but anyway, that's what got me into the Navy. How many years were you active duty? How many years were you reserve? And where, what are some of the functions you had and some of the places you were deployed to? Yeah, I did, I did six years active duty. I did uh, two years on a uh, destroyer, a guided missile destroyer as the Tomahawk strike officer, which is the best job in the Navy. And then I did uh, a second ship, which was a maintenance ship, a submarine tender, which was perhaps not as glorious, but it was vastly more rewarding tour than I thought it would be. Mm -hmm. uh, those maintenance ships are actually pretty awesome. And and there I worked in the navigation department, which is the second best job in the Navy. So I was I was pretty, pretty happy with the, the billets I was assigned. And then mm -hmm. for my last couple of years of active duty, I went to a training command and trained other sailors on cruise missiles, basically. So I did six years active duty, then I got out and uh, ended up, the reason I got out was was not because I hated the Navy or didn't like the Navy. It was because there were things I wanted to do outside the Navy that mm -hmm. I was not going to be able to do if I stayed in. I wanted to be around uh, for my new wife and we had plans to start a family. And um, I knew that I wanted to work in IT and, you know, active duty was not compatible with those mm -hmm. things. <laughs> so, so that's why I left active duty. So, but I joined the reserves cause I wasn't ready to mm -hmm. stop being a sailor. And that actually was a, a great fit for me. And I did, 15 more years in the reserves and retired out of the reserves in 2015 after uh, 21 years of total service. But the reserves were a perfect fit. I could still be a naval officer, still be a sailor, 
and still be around for my family mo mostly and uh, still chase my IT career goals. So, uh, so it worked out perfect. So that, that's a, a short, I guess, uh, summary yeah. of my career. I should say in the reserves, I was, uh, I basically did two things for over the 15 years in the reserves. You could categorize it as two things. One, I worked in IT for the Navy, do basically mostly training uh, sailors in uh, IT maintenance on for networks, shipboard networks. And then I was a staff officer. So I, I worked in the pack fleet staff, Pacific Fleet headquarters uh, staff, and I got deployed to Afghanistan for a year to work on a staff there. I asked you this before, and you have you have a good answer. So last last map I looked at, there's no ocean or anything in Afghanistan. <laughs> so what did they need uh, the Navy for? Yeah, so they're they're uh, you know the the efforts in both Iraq and Afghanistan were sort of all hands on deck efforts, mm -hmm. and so. They were, um, you know, there were there are a lot of wartime jobs that don't necessarily need army expertise, and you know, staff officer jobs are one of those. Mm -hmm. uh, for those, I was deployed as is what they call an individual augmentee, which is where they don't deploy. I didn't deploy as part of my unit; rather, they plucked me out of my Navy unit and dropped me into a joint staff in Afghanistan uh, to work for a year, and it basically. Every time they did something like that, it freed up an army officer to do things that only army officers could do. And so that's that's why uh, sailors ended up in Afghanistan. Although, you know, we, we often made the joke like, you know, hey, anybody seen the waterfront? You know, <laughs> looking for my ship. Anybody see the waterfront? And the Navy had pretty good free decor and morale over there, knowing that we were we were fish out of water. Um, the administrative headquarters in Afghanistan for the Navy, the Navy's administrative headquarters in Afghanistan, painted their uh, building uh, ship gray um, right. to, to try to maintain some identity. So anyway, but yeah, it's a, it's a fair question. What's a, what's a sailor doing in Afghanistan? Yeah. We often wondered ourselves. How did you feel over there and how, how safe or not was it for you? You know, it, it, it was not safe. <laughs> the, you know, when I first deployed over there, I, I was like, you know what? I'm sure I'm going to, I'm going to work in a war zone and a combat zone, but I'm not going to be commuting on California freeways every day. So, you know, maybe it's a wash or, <laughs> or, you know, maybe I'm actually a little safer there instead of driving on these freeways every day. But, you know, I, I think after a few months, I changed my mind about that, you know, in wars like Afghanistan, there aren't really front lines and back lines, you know, there's, there's enemy activity throughout the country. And, you know, I was much safer than many in Afghanistan. You know, I was not routinely going on patrols in villages or kicking in doors or, you know, uh, working on a tiny forward operating base, sort of, you know, isolated yeah. out in the countryside. I, I was not operating in any of those things. Uh, and so I was, a, I was safer than a lot of people in Afghanistan. But I don't think anybody in a war zone is totally safe. And, and things ended up blowing up closer to me than I wanted them to blow up. But yeah, so I don't know. It's safe, safer than, than most, probably, but not as safe as back home. <laughs> okay, la last question. That As we're recording this, it's about one year after the you know, pullout uh, from that area. And I don't think it's gone well. I mean, so as someone who served there, you know, it sounds like you risked your life. Like what, what are your reflections on, on what went down about a year ago? Oh, it was heartbreaking. It still is. Um, you know, thanks for asking this. Cause I don't, I like, I, I talk about this all every chance I get, but 
Um, no, it was it was traumatic and and very difficult to watch it go down in every way. Um, it stirred up old trauma from our own experiences. And uh, you know, any anybody who served in Afghanistan, either military veterans or I worked closely with State Department people, and you know, they also risked their lives in Afghanistan while, while not armed. I'll have you know, mm-hmm. you know, oftentimes when I was doing something that I felt was relatively dangerous. There was an unarmed State Department person sitting right next to me. And so their their courage and, and bravery is remarkable too. But all of us, you know, were for, forced to confront, you know, again, if, if we hadn't already, you know, what is the meaning of our service then? What, what did we do there? Did it do any good? You know, there, everybody is confronted with that question. We've come to a wide variety of answers. You know, veterans are a diverse bunch, but you know, it, it was, I think, collectively very traumatic and it still is. You know, many of us, myself included, are still involved in um, the uh, the effort to uh, evacuate Afghan allies who were left behind. And so we're spending, you know, I get up at five in the morning, three days a week to work on Afghan evac issues before work. Um, and I've drew those boundaries. I'll only do it, you know, three days a week because I my mental health was suffering, to be honest, and, and needed to, to draw those boundaries to, you know, keep myself out of the nut house because that work will kind of eat you up. But uh, yeah, so I think it was, uh, you know, regardless of, of, a, of a person's position on the war or the effort, it was a traumatic event to watch and, mm-hmm. and is still ongoing for many of us. I know you do a lot of writing about your time in the Navy like about veterans affairs. Uh, what's your interest there? Oh, well, I've, 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 I've uh, been a writer for a long time and I started writing to sort of preserve some of these experiences just for in the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and then through their encouragement started, you know, submitting it elsewhere and, and finding some success and getting it, uh, getting some stuff published here and there. Um, and so it's, a way for me to, uh, you know, writing is a way for me to organize my thoughts. Writing is a way to give voice to people who aren't good at writing. So this, that's true for anybody, uh, a member of any community. If you are able to write and uh, get things published, you are giving voice to those members of the community who, who either don't or can't do that. Um, so I, I find that rewarding. And then, you know, some of the op-eds and, and media appearances I've done speaking on Afghan issues, it helps uh, it helps me feel like I'm doing something, you know, something more than nothing to help the, those causes, um, you know, getting the word out and uh, trying to draw attention and trying to motivate people to action. Um, so anything that I uh, op-eds or anything I write concerning the situation in Afghanistan or the government's treatment of Afghans, uh, you know, helps me sleep at night uh, whenever I succeed at something like that. One last thing, who's in your family and what do you all like doing together? Ah, so I, I live with, uh, with my wife and my son who just graduated from UCLA and is in the middle of job hunting and interviewing. Good to see he didn't, you know, repeat the sins of the father, if, if you will. <laughs> of course he went to UCLA. Of course he did. Uh, yeah, he, he did it on purpose. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it, uh, uh, so he's spending most of his time uh, job hunting, although we, we have gone to some Padres games this summer. Uh, we have tickets to go see the San Diego Wave, the National oh, Women's yeah. Soccer League team here in San Diego, who, who, though being an expansion team, their first year in the league are in 
top of the table, which is remarkable for an uh, expansion team. And we've got tickets to go see them at their first game at Snapdragon Stadium. So that'll be mm-hmm. a lot of fun. So we like to go to the sporting events. And we binge watch shows on TV and you know do other family stuff in the meantime. Every now and then I take out my little boat and and mostly unsuccessfully, but occasionally successfully catch some fish. And I guess that's kind of what we could do. A, we could do a, a whole podcast on unsuccessful uh, fishing. I'm an expert. What where do you what do you try to reel in? Yeah, I I do ocean fishing. Uh, I take my I have a, a tiny little 30 year old boat and I take it out. Uh, out on the ocean. And so it, it depends. Uh, last fish I caught was a tuna, actually. I went offshore to yeah. Nine Mile Bank and, and succeeded in catching a tuna, something I've tried for the last couple of summers without success. So I was pretty happy about that. Most of the time I'm catching rockfish or, or kelp bass, uh, that kind of thing closer to the coast. And lobster season starting in October, just a month away. And I usually, I, I go out there and try to pull bugs off the ocean floor. That's a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to that too. All right, James, appreciate the insights and telling your story here to our uh, beloved listeners. Always, uh, always happy to. Thanks for the opportunity, Mark. Yeah. I sure hope you're enjoying this podcast. Remember to let your fellow IT services staff members know that this podcast exists. Get everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your podcasts. This podcast is a collaborative effort, and we want to hear from you. If you have any ideas for podcasts or topics, send them to me at its-podcast at ucsd.edu. That's it for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode of The Current Daily.